All right, well, I am not Donnie, obviously, so um, good morning to those who are joining us for the first time. If you're joining online, my name is Austin. I am the youth and children's pastor here at Cecilia Baptist, and I'm so glad you've chosen to worship here. Brother Donnie is out this week, but he'll be back um, for Wednesday night services. So if you don't like me, just come back Wednesday night or next Sunday, and uh, he'll, be, he'll be here then, and you can meet him. But so, this morning, before we get into it, i got a question to ask. How many of you all have not ever wanted to be around someone? Let's be honest with ourselves. We've not wanted to be around someone. We won't get into reasons, all right? We're not going to embarrass anybody or, or, or shame anybody. But sometimes we just don't get along with people. It's kind of what I was talking about this morning. Maybe it's because they say certain things that you don't like. They believe certain things that you don't believe. Um, we just don't get along with people. They have different political views. Those people who view the Bible differently than us. Um, those people that pray different. They vote different. They interact with family different. Or maybe you just don't like them because maybe they like the Louisville Cardinals, who lost yesterday, by the way. We'll say that. Even those people. Sometimes we just don't get along with people. And I'll be honest, Sometimes I don't think that I do a good job of loving people that are different than me. We like to associate with people that think like us. Like I just said, they vote like us. They believe what we believe. We, they eat what we eat. They like the same movies as us, the same shows, the same sports, because we like to stay in our comfort zones. We like to stay in our comfort zones, and when we see someone who believes differently than us, sometimes we lash out. We like to say things. One thing that really hurts my heart is seeing Christians lash out at people and even at each other on Facebook and on social media. Sometimes I believe that social media has hurt the church more than it has ever helped the church. You know, when you post something or say something that's bashing a person or, or a president or a leader, a group of people, a profession or a political party, you're bashing someone that Jesus died for. Now, we're not going to get into that because we all have our own beliefs, and that's great. But nonetheless, you're spewing hate at someone that Jesus told you to love. You're doing the opposite of what the Bible says to do. That's not what Jesus called us to do. We're called to live in unity and with each other. We're called to love one another. And listen, when I say that, that, that we don't do a good job at loving people, I'm including myself this morning, and I'm not sure what you all think of me, because anything good you see in me is because of Jesus. And the reason I know the topic this morning so well is because it's brought disunity to my life. The people that typically offend me the most are other Christians. Maybe it's the same with you. I get so irritated sometimes when I read a certain Christian group, person, church, organization doing something that I think is wrong, no matter the denomination or whatever. I look at it and I say, well, that is wrong. In my head, I'll go off on them, you know, of course, not to their face, because in my head, I'm a fierce dude, but I know that in reality, I'm not. Maybe it's in my head. Maybe I say something about them to my wife or a few close friends, I, I, I'll tear them apart because I know that they are wrong because I'm right. They're wrong because I am right and no one else has, can have a different opinion. And how dare that they believe that or say that or act that way. They should know better than that. They should know that I'm right and they should start believing what I believe. The things that set me off, though, are probably different than what sets you off. But you can relate. Think about it. You can relate. You overhear that conversation at work or your coworkers. They bring up an issue. You see that Facebook post that maybe sets you off. Whatever it is, that's it. It gets under your skin and you go off and you can't get it out of your head. Maybe you say something to their face if you're that bold. Maybe you just write an anonymous comment or maybe you complain to a friend, a spouse, or maybe you just have an argument in your head with them. 
You know what I'm talking about this morning. For much of my life, I thought, well, well, what does it matter? Why can't I have my own opinions in my head? Now, yes, going off on someone in person, that's very unchristlike. But if I keep it in my head or keep it to my spouse or my closest friend, what does, it, what does it hurt? I'm entitled to my opinions, plus I know that I'm right, like I said. Therefore, I'm justified by my beliefs. But shortly after I got married, I started seeing the damage my approach had on others and on me. If I complain about something long enough, and I talk to and confide in Brooklyn long enough, sometimes I'll see that her opinions change as well. Maybe it's about a person, maybe it's about just an activity or a belief or whatever. Sometimes that happens, and that usually happens in spouse couples or or whatever, friend couples, it doesn't matter. If we hang out with them and they're that close to us, we can mold others' opinions. And it was at that point I realized the effect of my actions, whether I was right or wrong, it didn't matter. Sometimes we do this among Christians. Maybe we think that we are just venting and how much we can't stand what someone else is doing. Um, Well, what we are doing is creating a barrier among Christians in the church. I had sought to uh, solve the conflict and only made it worse by entrenching myself in my own views. And sometimes we do that. And you know, I'm guessing I'm not the only one who has experienced this, if we're being very transparent and honest this morning. It's hard for me to come up here and tell you all how much I do that in my head, but it's true, and I think if we're being honest, I think we're all a little guilty of that. Maybe it didn't play out like my story, though, but you've experienced this. You saw someone in the church post uh, something about the latest political issue, right or wrong, on your side, it doesn't matter, and the next time you saw them, you didn't want to talk to them. You're like, I can't believe they posted on Facebook. I don't ever want to speak to them again. Or maybe you said something you shouldn't have to them. Maybe you did confront them. But rather than apologize, you just let it fester. And you let it hurt your relationship. Or maybe you really messed up and you hurt someone, but you couldn't bring yourself to go seek forgiveness. You know, we all have these barriers that we put up. Some big, some small, but they all bring disunity to the church. They hurt our community. They divide our families. And that's got to stop. And this isn't a new thing. We've all had disagreements going all the way back to Adam and Eve when they left the garden. What's new in our generation doesn't know how to handle conflict as well as they have in the past. We have to learn how to live together in community with unity. Listen, other views, whether political, theological, or lifestyle, those are not the enemy. Those people, whoever, they are to you not the enemy. We're going to look at a passage today. If you want to turn on over to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to see where the Bible talks a little bit about this. We're going to see that we are never told to close our circles and associate with only like-minded people. We're never told that. We're told to live in community with people that are different than us, and we've got to get better at that. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 11 through 22. And while you're turning there this morning, some background. So we're looking at the book um, of Ephesians today, and this is basically a book that Paul has written. Paul has written a letter to the church at Ephesus. And so before Ephesians was put into the Bible, as we know it, it was obviously the, a letter to the church at Ephesus. And Paul, really, he writes these letters to encourage and challenge and inform the early church at specific locations. The way this would work is he would normally send it to a certain church in a particular area, and they would read it and then pass it along to the next church. They would read it and pass it along to the next church, and so on and so forth. This letter or book that we're going to look at today here in just a few minutes is written to the church at Ephesus. Paul talks about some of the major themes throughout the gospel and addresses them in this letter. And if you're new to following Jesus or just trying to figure out what you believe, um, start, go read John, Romans, and Ephesians. Because Ephesians 
is a book that contains some of the most important verses in the Bible of why we believe what we believe. And you'll notice a theme that is pretty prevalent throughout this book, and we're going to look at that today, and that theme is unity. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip on over to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 11 through 22 today. 11 through 22. We're going to start by reading just 11 through 13 this morning. It says this, it says, So then remember at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ." By the time this book was written, they were already moving into the second generation of Christians. In other words, the first people who had decided to follow Jesus right after he died and rose again had kids, and now those kids had started to forget about the past. They were already a generation removed from that. And so they are basing it off of stories that their parents are telling them. They're forming their own opinions. Um, but Paul is reminding them that it really wasn't so long ago that they were without hope that they had no hope, that they were excluded from citizenship with God, which in the Old Testament was only for the Israelites, if you remember that. Paul is reminding them of their past, and we too need this reminder this morning. At some point, you and I lived in this world without God, whether that was a week ago or whether that was 80 years ago, whenever you got saved. At some point, we were living in this world without God. We have all lived or currently are living that story at some point. But don't miss this in verse 13. It says, But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What great words. Usually when the Bible says, but now, or but God, it's a great thing. And once again, it's a great thing. It's, we were once without hope, we were lost, and we were excluded, but now that is no longer the story. We can have hope. Here's what Paul is trying to get at. At one point in your life, you were without God. At one point, you were lost in your mistakes and your sin. You had no hope. And in Romans, Paul tells us that the consequences of this life that we once had was death. For the wages of sin is death. And that's the direction our lives were heading in. And that's why this morning, point one this morning, is one Christ. Jesus entered the picture and our story changes. You see, our sin kept us from being in a relationship with God, but Jesus took the consequences of sin upon himself. He said, you no longer have to suffer for your mistakes. I will suffer in your place. And because of that, we went from being far from God to being near to God. We went from being hopeless to being filled with joy. We went from being excluded from citizenship to being called sons and daughters. For all those who follow God, we now have a new life. Paul here is, is just reminding us that where we were and where we are now, how far we've come, and we have a tendency for to get that, church. We have a tendency to forget that in our lives. We, we forget we were once lost. We forget the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us. Sure, we know this in our head and we think about it. Yes, I'm saved and Jesus rose again from the grave and all that good stuff. But however, our lives don't reflect it. We live like we've forgotten. Some of us live like Jesus is still in the grave. Some of us live like, yeah, I made a decision once, ago, once a long time ago, once upon a time, and we just live our lives so mundane and just so, yeah, I go to church, I'm a Christian. Guys, we have to remember that Jesus is not in the grave anymore. We need to open the graves in our own lives and realize that Jesus is alive and still in the miracle-working business today. He's still performing miracles today. 
But most of us don't live like it. Most of us just live like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I'm going to make my own decisions and do whatever I want. We need to remember that Jesus is still alive and in the miracle working business today because that is what unifies us as Christians is one Christ. And if we can't get excited about having one Christ, then there will never ever be any unity and there's no point of even coming to church and being a body of Christ. I want to look at the next few verses because Paul's reminding us of this and he continues on in verses 14 through 16. It says this, it says, For he is our peace who made both groups one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made of no effect the law of consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. Look at that last verse again. Verse 16, he did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. We have to remember the hostility that was in the Bible between between the Jews and the Gentiles, between the circumcised and the uncircumcised, and we won't get into that today, but we have to remember that hostility of just the conflict that they have, but God is say, uh, Paul is saying here that Christ died for that, to unify as one body. You know, we often recognize that God saves us from eternal punishment, and we get that, we talk about that a lot, but Jesus' sacrifice on the cross goes a lot further than just a get-out-of-hell-free card. Paul is telling us that not only do we no longer have to suffer the eternal consequences for our sin, but also the things that used to keep us apart, the things that we used to fight about that divided us, our differences, our opinions, our lifestyles, all those things no longer divide us because Jesus put to death on the cross our hostility towards each other. Listen, because of what Christ did on the cross for you and I, we can live at peace not only with each other, but with those people too that we just talked about, the people that we have problems with, people that we don't like, the people that do stuff differently, live their lives differently with us, We can have unity with them because, point two this morning, is one body. Jesus' death on the cross allows us to enter into heaven and enter into community with each other. He brought peace to our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Now let's be a little transparent this morning. Do you see that peace today? Does it seem like hostility has been put to death currently in our world? And now I'm not talking necessarily about what's going on in this country or the world, uh, but, but I do want to focus in on here, right now, in this church, in this church, in your life, do you see peace? Do you see peace with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors, your coworkers, the person you're sitting next to? Is there peace? Let's get a little more transparent and personal this morning. Can you say that in your life there's no hostility towards the person that worships differently than you? There's none at all. Can you say that? Can you say that there's peace between you and that person that has a different little sort of belief with you? Now, I'm not talking about major beliefs. Obviously, we, we separate ourselves based on that, but I'm talking about little beliefs. Contemporary versus traditional music. Different versions of the Bible. Different beliefs on whatever it is. The little beliefs that we sometimes get so upset about. The colors of the carpet. The colors that are on the wall. The way the bathrooms are set up. Are you at peace with those people? Because 
If we're being honest, I don't think there is. How about this? Can you hold a conversation with a person or with a Christian that voted the opposite of you on an issue or for the president? How about the person that posts all sorts of ridiculous things on Facebook? Are you at peace with them? Or can you just not stand them? And saying, I don't want to talk to that person. Can you believe they would vote for that person? Can you believe that they, they believe in that issue? Can you believe that they would say that? Church, we're allowed to have our own opinions. That's absolutely fine. And what is biblical is biblical. But we are still called to love that person who believes that. Whether it's right or wrong, we are still called to love that person. And by posting hateful stuff on Facebook or saying I'm never going to talk to them again is not loving them. These are the walls that Jesus tore down when he died on the cross. Christians aren't called to think the same, believe the same, vote the same, and be the same person as the world. We understand that we're not, but we are called to live in community. And we are called to live in unity. We are called to be one body. Check out how Paul ends this section in verse 17 and 18. He says this, it says, He came and he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away. And peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to, in one spirit, to the Father. This is the good news. This is what we're supposed to be telling the world about. Not just with our words, but how we live our lives. We're supposed to be telling the world that this is the message of the gospel that is for everyone. Not just the people that look like you and, and act like you and post like you and have families that act like yours. The good news of the gospel is that all of us, Every single person in this room, every single person on the earth can now come to the Father because of what Jesus did on the cross. We can now have peace with God. Our sins, which are really just a fancy word for our mistakes we know, are no longer counted against us. We can live in freedom. And the best part is that this isn't a future event that starts when we die in eternity. Yes, Jesus says all who love him will be in heaven with him, and we have that promise. But the message of the gospel is that heaven came down to earth. Listen, eternity doesn't just start when we die. It starts now. Jesus' sacrifice means that we don't suffer the eternal consequences for our sin and that we live in community with each other now. That's the good news, and that's why the church exists. That's why this church exists. Because Jesus broke down the walls of hostility that were keeping us apart. And now we can live life together with people who look different than us, people who work different jobs than us, people who act different than us. We can live life together. We can be at peace with each other even though we have differences. And when we do that, people will see that something is different in us. And we will be able to tell them about the love that God has for us and them. But let me ask you this this morning, church. What do you think happens when someone that isn't interested in Jesus looks at the church and just sees bickering? What message are they getting about God when they see this picture? When they're looking in and they see all the hate and just the hypocrisy and just all that stuff, what, do you, what message are you sending? What message are they seeing? Let's get more personal. What do people see when they look at Cecilia Baptist Church? If they know that you're a member here, what do they see when they look at your life? Why would they want to come to a congregation like that if maybe you're acting the wrong way? Or maybe they look at you and be like, I want to be a part of that congregation because they're, they're different. They live different. Do they see a variety of people with different backgrounds that are living life together and doing life together? How about this? When it comes to your family, your friends, your coworkers, 
Do people see how you can live at peace with people that are drastically different than you? Or when you look around your circle of people that you hang out with, you work with, um, live with, do they all look like you? Do they all act like you, think like you? Can you live at peace those with those who might not be like you? Can you live at peace with those? Here's the bottom line, church, is when we live in community with those that are different than us, we show a little taste of heaven to those around us. And here's what we need to understand. When we fail to do this, when we point at other Christians and tear them down because of what they're doing, when we criticize those that are different than us, we still tell others something about heaven, about God, and it's just not accurate. It's not accurate. We might not be able to change how others are living. We might not be able to. Yes, the, what they're doing might be wrong. What they believe is wrong. Sure, but that's between them and God. That's not between you and God. That's between them and God. But what is between you and God is how you treat that person and how you include them or exclude them. That is what is between you, you and God. We can't change how others are living. That's not our job. But we can do everything in our power to live at peace with those in our life. We can make sure what others see in us points them back to the sacrifice that Jesus made that allows us to live the way we do. That's our job, church. That's our job as Christians is to point people back to Jesus because people should look at you and say that you are different. Why are you different? It's because of Jesus. It's because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. That's why Jesus talks so much about how your love for him is shown in how you love and care for those around you. Countless passages say that. Church, we've got some work to do. We have all do. And I know this because I've got work to do in my own life. I struggle sometimes to live in community. We talked about this at the beginning. I do because I have my beliefs, my ideas, and when someone comes into my life and believes differently than I do, you know what my first thought is? You're wrong. I'm right. And here's why. I'm going to spill it out for you. That's wrong. That's wrong, church. I struggle. I've got work to do. And here's what I've learned through my mistakes. And I think this is what we all struggle with. We as Christians are obsessed with telling people who's in and who is out. We are. We love to judge people. We love to say because you believe this about heaven or hell, you aren't really a Christian. We love to tell people because you don't think that that thing is a sin that you must not love Jesus. We love to tell people how they are wrong and why we are right. And here's what we are doing. We are telling people who's in and who's out, who God loves and who he doesn't. But here's the problem with that, is God has made it very clear of who's in. God has made it very easy to understand who he loves, and that is everyone. Jesus is for all people. That person that you cannot stand, that person that has those views that get under your skin, that person that is someone that Jesus died for. That person is someone that Jesus said, I love you to, and I want to be in. And we've got to stop pointing fingers at each other. We've got to. It's killing the church. Is that what we want to be known for? Is pointing and judging people, pointing at them and saying, you're wrong. Now, don't get me wrong, church. The Bible does give us a command to be able to lovingly call out sin. But that's the key word, lovingly call out sin. And many of us miss that point. I mean, seriously, is that what we want to be known for? The judgment, the, the hypocrisy. Now, don't get caught up in uh, politics. Put that aside. The church is often known for how we tell people if they are in and out, but that's not our job because we know that God is the ultimate judge. God knows who's in and who's out, who has a relationship with him and who doesn't, what is sin and what is not. Let that job be up to God. That's not our job. 
Our job is to love people and to reflect Christ. That is what we need to be known for. God tells us that we can live in unity with each other. So when we are known for being about hate and judgment, we're doing something wrong. I've read a few studies um, a few weeks ago and just in the last week about how non-Christians really perceive Christians and the two biggest things that stood out that non-Christians thought that Christians were self-centered and judgmental and they thought that they were unwilling to develop uh, friendships that think differently than those because they think that all we're going to do is judge them. We think that, they think that we're self-centered because we think that we know it all and that we are right and that they are wrong and we know what every sin is and we know who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. We're judgmental. If we want to see young people come to church, we can't live like that. We can't live like that. Does that sound like the walls of hostility that's been torn down? I think it has, church. The passage that we just read, those walls of hostility, it sounds like those walls have already been torn down, but we're trying to put them back up. We're trying to separate ourselves. We're trying to separate ourselves from those who don't think like us. Does that sound like we're pursuing peace, being judgmental, being a hypocrite? Does that sound like we're bringing heaven to earth? If you weren't a Christian and this is what you saw, I mean, would you want to follow God? It, looking from the outside in, if you weren't a Christian and looking at how people treat each other in the church and how they bicker and argue about everything, would you want to be a part of that? I'd say not. I'd say not. We've got to stop pointing fingers and start pursuing love with each other. I know that some people will say, but Austin, we have to point out sin. What is sin is sin. And yeah, we do. Just like I said, you're right. But we don't do it like that. How many of, uh, of you have ever been ridiculed into stopping a sin you were struggling with? I, 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 don't, I, I didn't think so. I, I don't think we are. I don't think just because someone said, what you're doing is a sin and you need to stop it. I doubt that we said, all right, I'm done with that sin, never doing it again. I seriously doubt that we responded that way. We have probably never been ridiculed out of a sin. If we have stopped sinning, it's because we are pursuing a relationship with Jesus and we know what's right and what's wrong as we pursue that relationship. Just because some older gentleman in the church decides to tell me that what I was doing was a sin doesn't mean that I'm going to stop it because we all have our own decisions to make. It's not our job to do that. I found out that when, when I have guilt heaped on top of me, it only really makes me sin more. Because sometimes it's like, well, I'm going to show you. If you think I'm wrong, well, you're really going to think this is wrong, and I'm going to do that again. Sometimes we live like that. That's why Jesus offers grace, though, guilt-free, that allows us to leave our sin. So why aren't Christians doing the same? I've heard so many people say, well, that person has sin in their life, so they can't be a Christian if they keep doing that. Well, that's not true Everybody in this room has sin in their life. Everybody, after years of following Jesus, has a sin revealed to you that you probably had no idea was hidden deep down in your heart. Because I know I have. What we're telling the world when we point fingers is that God is only a judgmental God that doesn't offer much grace. When we decide to, to do that, we're telling people that God just judges people. That's it. And God is a, is a judgmental God. Don't get me wrong, because he is just and he is powerful and he's the creator of the universe. But we often forget and we leave out the grace and love part. We like to focus in on the judgmental part, but we forget about the grace and love. We are so ingrained in our culture that things should just happen instantly. 
So when someone becomes a Christian, we say that you have to stop doing these 100 things that you were doing that are wrong. You have to stop them now if you're truly a Christian. But God recognizes that becoming more like him is a lifelong process, and you should be willing to know that in your own life. Because if we're being transparent this morning, even some of us who have been Christians our whole life still have sins that we deal with and probably do daily. So calling someone out saying you need to stop all this if you want to be a Christian is nothing but wrong. Jesus made it possible on the cross. He tore down the walls of hostility and no, it's our job to put aside our differences and pursue unity and community with those in this church. And whether they are like us or are different and to the best of our ability, do the same to those outside the church. We're gonna look at three things that we can do to live this out in our lives. And while we all need to look at these areas, I'm guessing one of these three things will stick out to you and hopefully this week you'll start working on. Number one is expanding your circle. Find people who are different than you. I'm guilty of this. I like hanging out with people who love watching football, who love the New Orleans Saints, not many around here, who love the Kentucky Wildcats, but that's, that's a little more popular crew to hang out with. But uh, I love those people. I love, go love going out to eat Mexican food with people. Does that mean I don't like eating with those who don't like Mexican food? No, we go eat what they like. We compromise. But it's, it's so easy to do that we just hang out with people that regularly act like us or think like us because it's comfortable. Sometimes we don't like hanging out with people that are different than us because it puts us out of our comfort zone. We need to expand our circles this morning. We need to find people that we wouldn't normally hang out with and love on them. Maybe it's someone in the past that you've even tried to avoid because of what they said about, about you or to you or about something totally different that you just don't wanna hang out with. Maybe you need to go talk to them. Learn about what makes them the way that they are so that you can know how to pray for them and love them. You might be thinking, yeah, I can't do that. I'm not gonna do that, but you can. Because when you recognize that that person is still someone that God loves, it allows you to put your differences aside and into community. Second thing is when there's conflict, seek resolution. Don't just let something fester. If someone in, a, in the church or at your workplace or whatever says something that you don't like, don't just avoid them. The same can go for your marriage too or your family. Don't just avoid your spouse because they did something that you don't like and say, I'm not gonna talk to them. Don't do that. Seek resolution. Same in your job, same in your church. Just because someone says it's something you don't like doesn't mean that I'm never going back to that Sunday school class or I'm never going back to that worship service. Can you believe what they did, what they said? I'm never going back to Wednesday night prayer group. Brother Donnie said this and I didn't like it or Deacon so-and-so said this, I didn't like it. Church, put your differences aside and address the problem. If you truly have a problem with it, be willing to talk to that person. Number three is stop bashing people on Facebook, in conversations, whatever. We see it all the time. And I'm guessing we're all guilty of this at some point. We all bash people, but we need to stop. Be careful of, of that, what you say, because be careful not to put up walls to keep certain people out of your life. The things that you do can keep certain people out of your life. Now, maybe one of those things stood out to you, and maybe you have something that you can work on this week. One way that you can live in unity with those around you, we can get better and we can look a little more like Jesus. That's what Paul's saying to the church in Ephesus, and that's why he ends this chapter, and we're gonna look at the last three verses, 19 through 22, and then we'll be done this morning. He ends it by saying this. So then you are no longer foreigners, strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple 
in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. You know, everyone that claims to follow Jesus is a part of God's family. We can live in unity because Jesus is our cornerstone and he is our foundation. Because he tore the walls of hostility down, you are new. And if you're new here and wondering if Jesus is worth following, you need to know that Jesus paid the price for your sins and allows you to enter into this community. And that is the good news. Because it brings me to my final point today is that in Christ, we are all one family. I want to end today with a comment that I read. I was reading an article, once again, on why millennials don't feel comfortable in the church and just younger people. And really, this goes across all generations. But this article focused specifically on millennials, of why they don't feel comfortable. And this is one of the comments um, that I read. And I think this sums up why it's important that we live like Christ. It says this, it says, As someone who is new to corporate worship, I honestly had no idea that asking questions about interpretation of biblical ideas would upset people. I had no idea that there was so much infighting, hostility, and bickering in the body of Christ over differences and over doctrinal statements in Bible studies. I was intimidated away from approaching fellow Christians face-to-face on these uh, questions and issues and really just felt alone. Christians should be able to talk about the Bible and debate different Bible questions without getting upset or questioning the condition of one another's souls. That's not okay. Listen, people. Every day... People are looking at you every day. They're looking at this church and they're trying to figure out if this Jesus guy is worth following. And the way that you and I act, the things that we say, the way we handle conflict is telling people something about God. Let's make sure that what we are telling them and showing them is what God wants them to hear. Because when people step in the doors of this church and when people step in the doors of your life, we need to make them feel comfortable. We need to make them feel like they're not an outsider. That's why the title of this message today is A Place to Belong. When people step in the doors of Cecilia Baptist Church, they should not feel isolated because maybe they dress differently than you did or maybe because they talk differently than you did. They should not feel isolated because of that because right here in verse 19, it says, "Though or excuse, yes, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Guys, if people want to follow Jesus, that is our cornerstone, a foundation of unity. We have that in common. We can't judge people for the way they dress. We can't judge people for the way that they talk because that's God's job. That's not our job. Our job is to love people and to unify them. And that's why this church needs to be a place to belong. That's why you should be a person that someone can confide in, even if they don't go to this church, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your job place, You should be a person that people think that they can approach to ask questions about about the Bible, to ask questions about issues and what you think. And just because they think differently than you doesn't mean that you have to hate them. Love that person. Church, as we get ready to close out this morning, I want to ask you this. Can we love those people that are different than us? Can we pursue unity with each other? Can we show this community that Jesus is for all people? Can we show the community of Cecilia and of Hardin County and of the state of Kentucky that, that Jesus is for all people and that, and that he, wants, he wants them to come to his body and to worship? And whether that's here at Cecilia Baptist or whether that's at another local congregation, he wants you to be a part of the body. He wants you to be a part of that one family. Church, as Christians, we need to make it hard to go to hell from Cecilia We need to make it hard to go to hell from Hardin County because we should be telling everybody about Jesus, everybody who we come into contact with about what Jesus did for us. And we should be known for our love, not for our judgments. 
and our hypocrisy. So this morning, I want to ask you this question as we get ready to close out. Are you making this church a place to belong? Are you welcoming people into your life? Are you making you a person who people can approach because you're showing them love, not judgment? Maybe for someone in this room this morning, you're, you're just confused about all this because you're like, Austin, I, I don't even really know about this Jesus dude. I just kind of showed up this morning and, and I don't know what it means, but I want to be a part of that. Awesome. Come down here and I'd love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Christ and about what Christ did for you on the cross and how he did rise from the grave three days later and how he is no longer dead and how he is in heaven today and how he's still in the miracle working business. I would love to talk to you about that. Maybe this morning... You're being convicted about joining the church. You're saying, Austin, I've been attending for weeks or months now, and I've never made a commitment uh, to a local body of Christ. Come on down. Me or one of the deacons would love to talk to you about what it means to be a part of a local body of Christ and congregation because it is one of the best decisions that you could ever make. So this morning as we close out, are we making this a place to belong? Are you loving people like you should? Because church, that we need to be a community that lives in unity. Let's pray this morning. God, thank